0: Please take your Bibles now and turn together to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. Mark, chapter 5, I'm going to read verse 1 through 20. Uh, with Pastor Friedley being away, we're uh, not going to be in the book of Acts this morning. But we're going to take a look at this story from the life and ministry of Jesus in Mark, chapter 5. Uh, because we're just jumping in here, uh, Mark, chapter 4, uh, Jesus teaches about who he is and about his kingdom through a series of parables. But then at the end of chapter 4 and then on into chapter 5, Jesus shows us who he is and what he's come to do by his actions and by great miracles. And we see one of them together here this morning in verse 1 through 20. So let's give our careful attention to God's word as I read Mark 5. Verse one through twenty. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore—not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, For we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country and the people came to see what it was that had happened and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind and they were afraid And how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Let's stop and pray together. Our Father in heaven, the grass withers and the flower fades, but your word stands forever. <clears throat> we thank you for your word for the gospel of Jesus and for this work of grace that he did in this poor man that we read about this morning. Lord, I pray that you would ready our hearts to receive your word, to lay it up in our hearts and live it out in our lives to your glory. Lord, teach us, give us faith, work in us by your word this morning we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our text this morning is an intense story that shines the spotlight on Jesus. And it shines the spotlight on the miraculous transformation that he brings because of who he is. It's a story that's both sobering and encouraging a sobering story because it's a very candid picture of the darkness of life the reality of life in this broken world under the dominion of sin and satan but it's also such an encouraging story it is it is good news because it draws our attention to jesus the light who came into this dark world it shows us his power to save and to conquer evil, and to totally transform lives, and bring life and light where there's darkness. It's a story that can bring tears to our eyes. Tears because of the terror of sin and the grip of Satan. Tears because of the compassion and power of Jesus. Tears of sorrow at the unbelief and rejection of Jesus. Tears of joy at life restored and made new. Amazement and wonder reflecting on what Jesus has done and and what he can do for us. What I want to do today as we hear this story together is look at the individual characters in this story one by one at a brisk pace. And as we consider the characters in this story, I want us to ask What can we learn from this? Why has God given us this in his word? Why did Jesus carry this out that day? What is God calling you and me to believe and to do in light of this? What are we to see about Jesus here? Why can I trust him? Why must I trust this Jesus? Well, let's look at our story together and begin this series of short character sketches beginning first with the madman the madman listen carefully again to how he is described at the beginning of our chapter verse 2 when jesus had stepped out of the boat immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit he lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore not even with a chain for he'd often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. After a wild and unforgettable night at sea in Mark chapter 4 where Jesus calms the storm. No sooner does Jesus step off the boat on dry land that he's met by another storm of a whole different kind. Immediately this madman rushes to Jesus. And this man is in the most awful condition He has an unclean spirit, a demon. In fact, we learn later it's a whole host of demons. He's an outcast. He lives among the tombs. He's a danger to society. He's a danger to himself. Again and again, he's been bound. He's even been chained, but to no avail. He breaks free with superhuman strength each time. No one could help him. No one could subdue him. And the people nearby were terrified and disgusted by him, and they'd given up on him. And as we read about this madman, this description would sooner fit a wild animal than a man. That's how wretched this man's condition was. He lives a miserable existence out in the mountains, among the dead, among the tombs. He's always crying out. He's He's mutilating himself, he's naked, and his body would have been covered with scars and scabs and bruises and and likely infection from repeatedly cutting himself with stones. And it's this pitiful, wild, dangerous man who sees Jesus from afar and immediately is drawn to him. Bolts for him, runs, and falls at his feet. Wow. What, what a picture. What a situation. What a hopeless and awful existence. One writer has said the description of the demoniac in these verses is one of the most lamentable stories of human wretchedness in all the Bible. And so it is even if we're familiar with this story, we're meant to pull back in horror and shock with a stomach-turning response. Another thing to note about this man and, and the whole situation, it is, it's entirely unclean. He is ceremonially unclean. Think about it. He has an unclean spirit. He's unclean from constant contact With the dead, according to the Old Testament. He lives among the tombs. He's unclean from constant contact with his own blood and bodily fluid. He's unclean because he's in a Gentile region. And finally, he lives near a herd, a large herd of unclean animals, pigs. This man could not be more unclean, more unfit for God's presence and the presence of other people. But in steps, Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God, the perfectly clean Son of God, into this unclean place and the, this most unclean man. No one in their right mind would have come anywhere close to this mess and to this man. Can you picture a more pitiful, utterly hopeless, miserable existence? This man is beyond all hope. He's hardly recognized as human. The image of God in him is so brutally marred and defaced and twisted. This shocking and saddening scene gives us a glimpse of the depravity and hopelessness of man under the power of Satan. And under the power of sin without Jesus. Now thank God this is rather extreme. Uh, the Lord doesn't often and ordinarily allow these depths. But it shakes us. It ought to shake us with the destructive power of sin. And the very real and, and awful grip of Satan. Satan the brokenness and helplessness of evil. It reminds us of our need for Jesus to step foot here. For Jesus to come down to this filth, this mess, this evil and hopeless place to save and to rescue and to make all things new. To come to us Well, that's the first character, the madman. And he's a madman because of the second character or the second character group that I want us to consider this morning, the legion of demons. The legion of demons. Look again with me at verse 7. Crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. The demon speaking through this man is terrified by Jesus. And he's terrified by Jesus because he knows exactly who Jesus is. And he he identifies him correctly here. Jesus, son of the most high God. He's right. He nails it. That is exactly who Jesus is. Jesus is the son, the divine son of the living and true God. The God most high. And he challenges him. What have you to do with me? What do you want with me, Jesus? Why are you here? And then, not by an evil power, not by Satan, but by God, he begs Jesus not to torment him. He says, swear to God, basically. Swear to God you will not torment me. Because he knows the power of God and he knows he is outmatched. And in some ways, this is ironic, because just the night before, Jesus' own disciples couldn't identify him. Just the night before, as he calmed the storm, they said, who is this? But here, the demon knows who this is, and knows that he is outmatched, knows that he is in trouble. Here is the king, the divine son of the Most High, who is ultimately come to destroy him. And so there's this showdown between the two of them, but it's no contest. The demon begs for mercy, even though we find out there's more than one. Look at verse 9. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. A legion was something like 5,000 soldiers. Soldiers. And so it seems that this man was controlled not by just one, but by a large number of militant evil spirits. This man was a host to an outpost of demons, a, a small army of demons. There are many of them, and yet they cower before Jesus. Verse 10 He begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. This was their turf. They had controlled this man and this area, and they don't want to leave. But they know not only can Jesus send them away, he can send them to hell. He can absolutely destroy them, and he will. And so we see the clash of two kingdoms, two armies. The spiritual powers have drawn swords, if you will. The kingdom of Satan and his demons, his armies. And the messianic kingdom of Jesus. The son of the most high God sent from heaven. Who would ultimately come to crush them. They want to continue their evil, their destructive activity. They want to be left alone, but the king is not going to allow it. The gates of hell do not stand a chance against him. They cannot stop his kingdom from advancing or his saving grace to work in this man. And this story and especially this legion of demons ought to remind us of the reality of the spiritual forces of evil. The very real power of Satan. We need to be aware of and honest about Satan's power and activity. Ephesians 6 tells us we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. Praise God that Jesus is far more powerful and he conquers, but we need to acknowledge the reality of this great evil. Well, that leads us then to the next character group that's introduced here, and it's a most Peculiar and unsuspecting group. Uh, It leads us to consider third, the herd of pigs. The herd of pigs. Look again with me at verse 11 and following. Now, a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank, into the sea, and were drowned in the sea. The demons know that it's no contest. Jesus is going to cast them out. And so they make this suggestion. Jesus, send us to the pigs that are feeding nearby. And without hesitation, without any explanation, Jesus agrees to this peculiar request And they leave the man and enter this herd of pigs, some 2,000 pigs. And if that wasn't shocking and strange enough, the demon-possessed pigs immediately proceed to then destroy themselves. They rush down the bank and drown in the sea. And in Mark's terse style, we're we're told this rather matter-of-factly. We don't know anything more about how or why or what happens to the demons or or the pigs, but it gives another glimpse of the staggering and destructive power of these demons. The immensity of evil that this man has just been saved from. And that man may have been sitting and watching as those demons entered the pigs and ran down and drowned in the sea, and he may have been watching and thinking, that could have been me. They could have done that to me apart from Jesus rescuing me. But this is also a picture of the ultimate end of Satan and his kingdom. All who are under his power and the power of sin, apart from a rescue of Jesus, apart from salvation, they will plunge to eternal destruction. But I also want you to see here how this was a, a costly deliverance. Think about the collateral damage here. 2,000 pigs was a very large economic asset. This was likely the livelihood of many herdsmen and families in the area. And it's destroyed instantly, completely wiped out. The pigs are lost forever. And this is not well received. The people of the region don't understand the destructive power of evil. And they don't understand the cost of saving this man. And they really don't understand the real power or identity of Jesus. And I want to consider them next, fourth this morning, the people of the region. Look with me at verse 14 and following. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. The, The story sends shockwaves through the surrounding community about this man and the pigs. Could it really be true? They had to see for themselves and so they flocked to Jesus from nearby to see and hear what had happened. And as they arrive, they can't help but notice the man who was once the madman. There he was, no longer possessed by demons, but calm, clothed, seated, and in his right mind. And they go on to get the whole story. But as they hear the story, their response to it is is both sad and confusing. It says they were afraid. They were not overjoyed. They don't go on and ask Jesus to to heal their sick or show them more of his power or stay and teach them. But rather they respond with mere fear. And not the reverent fear of faith, but a fear of confusion and unbelief. And in verse 17, they beg him to get out of there. They don't want to have to reckon with such power, such an unknown character. And they missed the miracle right in front of them. The remarkable conquest of evil which has restored peace to this region and to this man. They, they missed the redemption of this man. And all they can think of is their own temporary safety and livelihood. To them it wasn't worth it. Uh, they were more concerned with the pigs than the salvation of this man. Or who Jesus was. Or what he could do for them. And this ought to be a sobering, heart wrenching reminder for us that people can come face to face with Jesus. They can even see with their own eyes his undeniable power. And then they can totally reject him and want rid of him. They can be so caught up with their own cares and concerns. They miss their one hope, the only Savior. To them, one soul, one life, not even their own, was worth a herd of pigs to them. But we need to realize that this is man's response. This is how man responds to Jesus, apart from saving faith, apart from having new hearts by the Holy Spirit, apart from a genuine knowledge of sin, a true apprehension of who Jesus is. And this story reminds us that there may be people you share Jesus with. There may be people that hear the word of God and they will ultimately respond, get him out of here. I'm not interested. I do not want him in my life. Or maybe you're here that this morning and that's you. That describes how you respond to Jesus this morning. Well, this is a warning to all of us. What do you value more? Temporary comfort, work, economic well-being, earthly security, your own perception of Jesus or the Jesus of reality, the Jesus of the word of God and his saving power for you and for others, for lost sinners? Well, they miss the opportunity to see and believe Jesus to rejoice even with his undeniable power and goodness and grace right there on display in front of them friends don't join them don't ask Jesus to leave see who he is and embrace him with faith well that leads us then fifth to consider the new man The new man. Look at verse 15 again. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. He was the madman earlier, but now we consider him again. Because it's as if he is an entirely different character. A whole new man. And verse 15 can bring tears to our eyes. Look at what Jesus can do for lost, hopeless people on the brink of destruction. Think of what he has done for you. Think of how he has saved you and what he saved you from if you are trusting in him this morning. This man now has a peace that passes understanding that was completely absent from his life he now has rest body and soul that he'd never had he has a mind that's been renewed by christ the shackles of sin and satan have been broken effortlessly by jesus he's been rescued and restored freed from bondage and this is an amazing picture of what christ does for all who he frees from sin 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Jesus makes totally new creations. He gives profound, noticeable, new peace and calm and wholeness where it was lost and completely out of reach. And doesn't this make you want to see this in others? Doesn't it make you want to see it for yourself if you've never been made new by faith in Jesus? Does it not make you amazed at his power and love, his salvation? And There are countless stories of Jesus saving and bringing profound change to people like this man. Uh, We've considered recently in Acts the Apostle Paul. uh, He was once a persecutor. And hater of Christians fighting against the church, and he was made completely new, a missionary, an apostle, a martyr for Jesus. Uh, the church father Augustine is another example. He was a sexually immoral young man. He was restless. He was caught up in a cult, and the Lord changed him completely and saved him and made him a great father of the church. John Newton's another example. He was a miserable, wicked, desensitized slave ship captain. And he was made a repentant lover of Jesus. A prominent pastor. Some of you may know the story of Louis Zamperini. He was a depressed prisoner of war survivor suffering with PTSD. He was suicidal. He was alcoholic. He was haunted by hatred. And he was made entirely new. A sober full of life and joy, offering forgiveness to the worst war criminal who had tortured him because of the work of power and grace of Jesus in his life. And we could go on and on with examples. And many of you here this morning have your own stories of new life in Christ. Maybe not quite as dramatic as we see here in Mark 5. But if you think about where you would be apart from Jesus, it's every bit as wonderful and sweet and amazing. Jesus makes people totally new. He can make and he is making you new if you come to him. If you trust in him. If you are freed by him like this man. But before we meet, leave this man, look at how he begins to live a new life in verse 18 and following. So much could be said about this, but notice just two things here that ought to mark those saved and made new by Jesus, that, that really ought to mark us as God's people. First is a longing to be with Jesus, a longing to go with him and follow him. That is what this man wants, and he, he begs to go with Jesus. But second is this willingness and this eagerness to speak about Jesus to proclaim Jesus wherever he would have him do it often close to home and among friends telling how much Jesus had done for him being a witness for Christ by his changed life and words friends do these things describe you do you want to be with Jesus do you speak of him do you proclaim all he has done for you Our dear brother Ron, in his last days of life, was eager to speak of Jesus and eager to be with Jesus. And now he is with him in glory. But this is what characterized this new man. A desire to be with Jesus and a desire to speak of Jesus. And he was just one person, one ordinary man with an extraordinary Savior. Bearing witness by a changed life. Speaking of Christ in day-to-day life with friends. And this man really becomes, we could say, the first Gentile missionary. The gospel begins to go out in his Gentile region. Out to the world. Friends, be made new and live as new for Jesus. Well, that leaves us with one last character this morning. And that is the Lord Jesus. Let's consider sixth and finally this morning, the Lord Jesus. If you hear this story or read this story in Mark 5 and you miss Jesus. Not only do you miss the main character, you miss the main point. This story and all of Mark's gospel is all about Jesus. It starts, Mark Starts in chapter 1, verse 1, saying the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so all of the words and the parables and the actions and the stories recorded here of Jesus are written to shine the light on him, to reveal who he is and what he came to do, to call you to know him and love him and trust him, to be saved by him. And that's the point, ultimately, of this story. What we have here is a powerful story that shows that Jesus is the only Savior. That Jesus is the Son of the Most High God. As the demons knew, he is the Christ, the promised Messiah, the anointed King, bringing his kingdom. And his kingdom has been and is overthrowing the kingdoms of darkness The kingdom of Satan. Legions of wicked servants fighting against him. And as he did here in Mark 5, even now he's calling people to new life. Freeing them from sin and Satan. And he's going to continue to do that until he comes again in final and complete victory. Final and complete judgment. Finally crushing Satan and sin forever. And friends, you need to know this Jesus. You need to bow to him and trust him. And his stepping out of the boat here in Mark 5, into this dark and unclean, hostile enemy territory with no fear, going to war with the enemy and destroying him, is a, a picture, a small small glimpse on a small scale of what he is doing And what he has done on a cosmic scale. What he's done worldwide. He's come from heaven to earth. He has become man in this unclean, broken world full of sin under the dominion of Satan. He is the light of the world breaking into the darkness on a rescue mission to save lost sinners. To make lost madmen new. And he can do that because he is the son of the most high God, the king, God. And the new man knew this. He knew that Jesus was Lord. And so as he goes off and speaks of Jesus, he tells all, much, all how much Jesus the Lord did for him. Friends, do you see that he is Lord? Lord. Do you see this morning his unlimited power and authority, his his mission? Do you see what he can do for you, for your sin, your problems, your friends, for lost and needy people? Fix your eyes on him. Not so much the, the demons or the pigs or the new man. Fix your eyes on the God man. Praise God that he has come. Praise God that he was willing to set foot in this dark and dangerous and unclean place to establish a kingdom of light and life and hope and peace. The Son of the Most High God has come to free the oppressed and the enslaved from self-destruction and pain and sin and death. And he was the only one qualified to do so. He was the only one brave enough and powerful enough and loving and compassionate enough As both God and man to confront the kingdom of darkness and cast out Satan and forgive sins and conquer death. And he's done it all at great cost. Saving this new man in Mark 5 cost him his reputation there. He was kicked out. He was asked to leave. It cost an entire herd of pigs. But to crush Satan forever... His heel would be bruised. To save sinners, to save you and me, he would have to die. He would have to lay down his life. He would have to plunge himself into the wrath of God. And that is exactly what he has done. But now he is risen. And he is alive. And he is king. And he is seated at the right hand of God with all power on heaven and on earth to subdue all things, to conquer and to save to make disciples, to build his kingdom, to make you and me and many more new. And so, dear friends, people of God, do not miss the central character here, Jesus the Lord. He's the central character of all history. He must be the central character in your life. Go to him, run to him. Bow before the Son of the Most High God. Let Him free you from sin and death. Be made new by the Lord and Savior. And rejoice in your salvation. Trust in Him. And then as you long to be with Him, go and tell everyone what great things He has done for you and of His mercy on you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for sending your son to this sinful, broken, hopeless world. We thank you for sending him to this region and this madman and for making him totally new. And we thank you that he is doing that for sinners all throughout the world and we thank you that he has done that for many, many here. Lord, I pray that each and every one here would put their faith in him, would be made new, would have the, their sins forgiven, and the power of sin broken in their life, would have life in Christ and long to be with him and speak of him. Lord Jesus, we praise you and thank you for what you have done for us. We thank you for your love and your power and your compassion. And we pray that you would not let us forget what we have seen here. Help us to fix our eyes on you with faith. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.